You know, it's interesting. I started my hobby, uh, my podcast, Million Dollar Hobbies, and it's truly amazing. Every single episode. Um, so my my uh, episode is episodes are every other episode is me giving content directly, and so it's guested every other. So whenever I have uh, you know somebody on my show, usually like I told you, I interview people that do not have college degrees. If they had one, they haven't used it for years. Um, and but they just had nothing but this undying passion about what they like to do. And they come up with the most interesting ways to solve problems or most interesting ways to build, you know, brands. And you're like, geez, like, I wish I had known that. And he, you know, I built a $500 million business and yet I'm learning something every single episode. And and like you said, like you're writing notes. I do the same thing. I'm like, oh my God, like, it's, it's just amazing. Like, you know, I thought I knew a lot about jewelry and then, you know, you got these people yeah, I mean, I do this and I do that. It's just kind of really amazing. So, you know, no one person has um, an answer to everything, right? So that's why I love the, the, you know, everybody told me, oh, don't call it hobbies because the minute they were, you hear the word hobby, you know, they know, you know, nobody's making money. It's a quirky thing. And I'm like, no, this is what everybody aspires to do when they retire. I'm asking them to do it now, you know, before they retire, right? And actually monetize it. Um, but I, I'm just amazed at um, how many people have so much to share and they're willing to share it. Heroes are an inspiring group of people, every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews. Today I have the pleasure of having on the line Victoria Wick. Are you there, Victoria? Yes, I am. Nice meeting you. Awesome. So glad to have you here. As we were discussing before we got on, you said you're calling in from San Diego. Is that right? Yeah, from San Diego. Sunny San Diego is what they call it. <laughs> Land of the perfect weather. Yeah, we're in our travels. We are in the middle of uh, Central Florida right now. We get rained on every day here in the summer because that's the way it works in Florida. Uh, yeah, it's but, what I want to do real quick. Go ahead. <clears throat> I say what, what I want to do before we get too far into this is just do a brief introduction so our audience knows who you are. Um, so you are a immigrant from South Korea. You came here, you said you had less than $30 in your pocket and you grew yourself into a more than $500 million business. You've got a show on HSN. So you've been on doing that, you said 23, 24 years now. You're the host of a podcast. Um, I can't remember the name of the podcast. What was the podcast name? A million dollar hobbies. Million dollar hobbies, which is great because uh, it's you're talking about more like rags to riches stories of people who um, don't even have college degrees but have built million dollar businesses. Um, so you've got an incredible story, and I look forward to uh, to talking a little bit about that today. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, to share my story. Yeah, absolutely. 
So to start off with, I want to I want to just the first question is what are you known for, right? So um, what's your business like now? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? So I started my company back in um, 1989, and uh, I'm a jewelry designer, um, and I've done it, you know, all over the world. Um, and then in 1998, I was invited to come to uh, the Home Shopping Network, also known as HSN. And I've had my own show there for 19 years. And what I did uh, for, from 1998 until 2017, which was when I left HSN, was pretty much bring you know fashionable, high quality, heirloom quality pieces that you're going to want to enjoy. And you're going to want to pass down to your future families uh, with you know a lot of affordability. So I made it very accessible because it used to be the fancy jewelry was really you know sold to people with a lot of money, a lot of status. So I made it very accessible, a lot of fun. And um, then in 2017, after about six months of retirement, I actually went to a smaller network so I could do my writing and created my podcast to bring. Uh, you know, to really help other people to uh, realize that, you know, I help big people with big dreams, you know, realize that without having to risk everything they have, uh, without having to work much harder, because you there is a way you could work smarter and have a system built for you. So that's what I do now. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. So, uh, so now you teach people how to do what you've done over the last 20 years, which is, you know, build big businesses. Um, that's pretty incredible. But what I want to find out is how did you get into business? I want to hear this this rag to riches story. We talk on this show, every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. Um, you know, were you bit by your radioactive spider that made you want to get into jewelry making business? Or did you start in a job and eventually moved over there? What was your story like? How did you get into becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, so basically my journey was a lot rougher than most people uh, because I didn't speak English. Um, English was my second language and uh, the culture, you know, uh, East and the West were very different back then. And uh, the Eastern culture was kind of uh, looked at very strangely uh, by the American public in 1971. Uh, so, you know, things were a little rough, plus especially for people who are very creative like myself, um, I didn't kind of fit in the mold of, you know, working hard to get your degrees and then climb the corporate ladder type thing, which is what every um, Asian parents tell you to do, become a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, you know, whatever, and then you'll have your American dream. And that to me was like really suffocating. I got my MBA and all that. And it, uh, the, the higher I got in corporate, the, the more suffocated I was, you know, emotionally. And I also, I was just exhausted working, you know, 12 to 15 hour days. And then you had an hour commute because I lived in Los Angeles uh, each way. And um, the one thing I'll tell you is I uh, felt very abandoned by my parents. You know, they were, I spent all the time in the world with them before I left Korea. When I landed here, my parents both had to work two jobs. So they, I saw them leave for work about six o'clock in the morning and I didn't see them until pitch, pitch black. I was the oldest of the five. So when I started my company, uh, it was do or die. I had to start something so I could be present for my children. I didn't want to have my children grow up without me. You know, uh, in corporate world, I was making decent money. Yeah, so yeah. I would have left them with nannies, you know, glorified nannies. And so I started my company and um, I really didn't have a choice in that because um, jewelry was the only thing I was really passionate about um, other than just like a painting. I, I would have loved, actually, I would have loved to become like a painter. But um, jewelry design was something I felt I knew, and uh, I didn't have money. My parents didn't have money. 
And I was like, well, how does somebody with no money ever buy jewelry? So I ended up actually creating jewelry for people that have great eye for things that have great taste, but didn't want to have to spend a fortune for it. You know, a lot of times you probably heard it before. A lot of times, um, basically people will buy jewelry and then they kind of put it in the safe or something they never wear it because it wasn't practical. You know, they spent a fortune on it, right? So I made it very accessible, very stylish. And also um, in the corporate world at that time, because I was in corporate, a lot of the women didn't have, um, you know, they were dressed like men. They were were the first generation of people actually getting managerial positions. And um, they didn't have a way to feminize their, their look or, you know, their presence. And jewelry speaks volumes about your taste level, whether you're an elegant person, a down-to-earth person, you know, it, it can make a lot of statements on that. And nothing like that existed at that time. So I guess partly uh, it was my uh, desire to live the life I wanted to live, which is even if no matter what happens, I kind of wanted to do what I wanted to, what I wanted to do to, to make a living. And the second thing is I kind of lucked out in, with the corporate landscape out there. Um, and the the lack of um, choices that the jewelry industry was offering. So I guess mine wasn't like, it was neither. I wasn't like bit by a spider <laughs> and it wasn't like I had a real plan, you know? It's just like I got started because I had no choice but keep moving forward. And I will tell you, I have made a lot of mistakes. And I mean, like some of them were pretty devastating and just kind of like did me over emotionally but I just didn't have a choice to even give up. I mean, you know, when you have a lot of money, you go, you know, this thing didn't work. Maybe I'll go start a bakery or, you know, that didn't work. Maybe I'll go get a job, you know, but I didn't have those choices. I just, I had the one thing I could do and I just kept doing it. Did I answer your question (laughs) correctly? You you absolutely did. And it's, it sounds like it's, you know, it's a little bit of luck being in the right place at the right time and a lot of effort to really, push something forward and create something that, that didn't exist to meet a market need. So um, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then, you know, after, uh, and the other thing you, you're, you and your audience both might find interesting. And this is where to me, the hero part of the story comes in is um, I, you know, I was told over and over again, okay, first of all, you're crazy. You have a degree you're not going to succeed. You know, it takes a lot of money. Uh, 95% of small businesses fail. I, I just heard all those stories all the time. In fact, I had a stack of business cards from people give, giving me, you know, cards saying, you know, when your business fails and you need to go get a job, call me first. Okay. Because I apparently met a very good worker. Um, but, you know, what I, what ended up happening was um, I, when my children came, they were very young and the whole, I kept in mind why I started my business, which was to work, do what I do for a living, work less hours so that I could be present for, for my family. But that means you can't have everything, right? So my dream at that time was to make $36,000 a year because that's the number I picked to thinking that I could pay my rent, pay my, for my car. I didn't drive fancy cars and I could be home, sustain my kids and then have a little money left over to save for their future, you know, like a college fund or something. So, so what I did was I stuck to the 20 hours a week and I was present for my kids. Um, And, you know, it's not really realistic to build a meaningful business if you're only working like, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So what I did was I actually um, started contact. I got up at five every morning and I started contacting um, companies in Europe because 5 a.m. West Coast time 
is like 11 to noon uh, Europe, depending on where you are. So, you know, I actually ended up opening distribution at Harrods London, Galleries Lafayette, Belgium, all these places before um, I started opening up New York. New York opens at 6 a.m. my time. It's, you know, 9 a.m. there. So I kind of got very productive two, three hours before my kids had to go to school. And then I dropped them off at school. I came back and then about 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, I'd have my breakfast, all my emails done. And I would hit stores like, um, you know, uh, Zales, K's, all those people are in Dallas. So that's two hours ahead of me. And I worked the time zones until two. And then at two o'clock, I'd pick up my kids. And from two to five or six o'clock, it was just, just their time. And after dinner, uh, you know, uh, about 8 p.m. is about 10 a.m., uh, 11 a.m. Uh, Asia. So I then opened department stores in, you know, Japan, Korea, Singapore, uh, Hong Kong. And so I had an international distribution before I had a really healthy business here. And that's how HSN found me because they saw my jewelry and covers of all these magazines. So, yeah, the story is... You know, for all the working moms out there, um, you know, 20 hours, if you, and I'm going to go over how the 20 hours breaks out in today's world, because that's eternity. You can think about what you do in a corporate world right now. You're going to meaningless meetings, okay? A lot of CYA meetings, CYA emails, a lot of rah-rah sessions, all these time that you're spending every day. You know, a finance, you might be an artist, you might be the marketing content creator, and then you'll be going into the finance meeting, the marketing meeting, all these other meetings, a sales meeting that has nothing to do with you because somebody wants everybody on the hook. So, you know, you're doing your thing. So if you think about 20 hours a week you can do for yourself, I mean, that's high productivity time. It's almost the same as like a 50 hour a week job, in my opinion. Yeah, that's incredible. So you you took you took that time, the twenty hours a week you had, and you built international distribution for your jewelry, uh, and you took that and built that into a five hundred million dollar business over the course of the last twenty years. Yes, actually, when my bio was written, um, I think that was twenty seventeen. I mean, I I think I can kind of really update that now. But it doesn't really matter after you even meet the $100 million mark because, I mean, you have all the money you need by that point. Trust me, you do. <laughs> so, you know, I stopped counting. But I think um, just to give you a perspective of uh, how many people um, have actually been touched by the brand, it's somewhere between 10 to 15 million women have purchased a piece of my jewelry. And, and I, say 10 to, yeah, I say 10 to 15 million because um, about 5 million of those people might be repeat customers. So, but, you know, if they keep buying pieces, but I mean, actual number of pieces is just phenomenal. So across the globe. So, you know, it's, it's not like a Christian Dior or Gucci kind of a brand, but for a small mom and pop brand, uh, that was more than I ever thought was possible. I, I never actually tried to make money. You know, I try to make the 36,000 a year. Do you still um, make and sell the jewelry since you're not on the home shopping network anymore? Does like how how is the company performing today? Yeah, I'm on a uh, competing network, a smaller network called Shop HQ. It used to be uh, uh, Shop NBC, and then they broke off from NB, you know NBC. So it's called Shop HQ. They rebranded themselves. So I'm still on the shopping network, but not as large as uh, um, you know as the um, 
you know, I'm in the smaller network. It's a third largest network here in the US. And, um, and I still have all, a lot of distributors actually still send, there's like 70,000 people that actually sell my jewelry around the world. So um, the jewelry portion of it is kind of on automatic cruise control. Uh, after that, um, you know, what I'm doing now is I wrote two books. One of them is a science fiction. I did the science fiction because it was always in my system. I kind of wanted to write like a really creative piece. Um, and that one is going to be released in 2021. It's called Shattered Sky. It, the thing takes place in 2047 or so. It, it's a very futuristic um, science fiction for young adults. And then I wrote a, a how-to book called Million Dollar Hobbies. And then I created a, a podcast for it. Because I believe that if you have passion and you really, I mean, look at my story, no money, no mentors, no family. I mean, my parents, I've had to support my parents for most of my life um, because, you know, they didn't, once I started making a lot more money, I didn't want my mom and my dad to work manual labor. So I actually put both of my parents back to school. So my father got his doctorate, all this stuff back here. So um, basically, and look, I started my company in the most unlikely industry. <laughs> you know, jewelry industry is known for uh, high barriers to entry. Like you need a lot of money. Jewelry costs a lot of money. You need a lot of connections to, you know, I mean, who do you, where do you go buy you know, materials from? So if I can do it with working approximately 20 to 25 hours a week, you certainly can do it. I mean, you know, and I, when I started my company, everything costs money. Okay. Today, everything that I paid for uh, back then, you know, computers were four or 5,000 bucks a piece. Uh, fax machines were like a thousand dollars. You needed printing machines. I mean, uh, 1-800 numbers were several hundred dollars a month. Today, all of that is free. Calendars are free. Your uh, social media is free. I mean, everything you need, everything that I paid for way back then, uh, you can do like online surveys, polling, all that stuff is all free. I mean, you can take a master class. I mean, just like your um, podcast right now, that's kind of a master class on its own. You know, you're, you've got amazing guests on and they're all sharing their journey, how they did it. I mean, even if you're not getting every single thing they ever did in an hour show, you're still getting enough nuggets there where you can, I mean, really benefit from this. So, you know, if I break down the 20 hours that I spent, I mean, I'm not even going to tell you like what I, I had to like manually type like typewriters, um, you know, um, to send out like letters, there was no database. So, you know, I had to go and pick out like yellow pages. I mean, all this stuff. Now today, if you look at the 20 hours, let's say you wanted to be really good at social media and you, you know, you're like, oh my God, I don't have time. And, you know, in fact, I heard one of your guests earlier talking about, it was like a business systems that she built, she builds like online websites and then she, you know, makes people, uh, teaches people yeah. how to be people. Okay. If you were going to do that online and you were going to put like, let's say you chose Instagram, Facebook, whatever, like three things. Uh, I personally, you know, tell you, you should probably pick a lane, even with social media and, be, and, and matter there. But say you wanted to be on, um, you know, Facebook, Facebook or whatever. If you ha have to put like three posts a week, and you allocated yourself like an hour a week, okay? That's plenty of time to do that, right? That's one hour a week out of 20 hours. If you were to do lead generation, for example, again, like two, three hours a week, that's all you would need. If you're make, trying to make 36 grand, that's all you would need because you only need a few people to respond. 
So when you look at and you set your goals uh, realistically so that you actually can achieve them, you know, it's aspirational. But if you say something like, oh, you know, I want to be like Victoria, I want to make $500 million. That's unrealistic. That's like saying, you know, I just had uh, 50 pounds of COVID weight and I'm going to I'm going to lose it. Well, what's it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, you know, every year people have this whole new New Year's resolution. They're like, oh, you know, I want to lose some weight, you know, and I want to be fit. And the, the fact is 80% of Americans actually give up uh, whatever their program they were on by, that, by February every year, okay? Because it's not, whatever they thought about was just not sustainable. You know, whereas if you said, I wanna lose 10 pounds in the next 10 weeks, so it breaks down to one pound a week, it's much more sustainable, right? So like whatever your business goals are, set it, make sure you define what it is that you want. Like I had a $36,000 goal, I want to work 20 hours a week and here's what I'm willing to do. Right. So if you keep yeah. doing that, you'd be surprised that, you know, I'm, uh, I come on these shows not to, you know, you'll find out later, like I'm not trying to make a bunch of money from anybody. Like, you know, like on TV, we are judged by dollars per minute. So we literally get paid on a dollars per minute basis. And it, you got to do several thousand bucks per minute for you to stay on. So it's, you know, it's, it's massive. So for me to write a book for over a year, that's insanity to, it's such a horrible waste of time if you're just looking at money, it's a poor ROI. But that's, that way I can reach a lot of people with evergreen content. You know, what needs to be on your website? Uh, what is the difference between building a brand versus building a business? So, because when you build a brand, the brand grows on its own. Um, and it's not that difficult to do that. But a lot of people, a lot of small business owners don't, you know, they're so concerned about making profits versus, you know, profits that don't actually build a, a lasting brand. Um, so all those things, you know, I pretty much give uh, a workshop once a month that's limited to only like 20 to 25 people. So people can actually ask questions and have it answered for free. Uh, but I would just say that what I want to do is when I come on these shows, I don't want to inspire people. I don't want to encourage people. I don't want to motivate people. You already get all that. You know, every podcast gives you that. What I want to do is I want you to take action because actions, only your actions result in something. It's like, you know, one time I, I was in Las Vegas and I saw this lady, uh, this guy, a veteran, you know, he didn't have arms and he didn't have, I mean, he literally was just like, it was just you know, when you walk, walk by and he's, um, he didn't have, he just had like little stubs and he, he was playing the drums because it, like he had a little um, drumsticks like tied to his arms and it was really great. And, you know, so many people coming out of the convention pass by him, feels horrible. We'll talk about him for like years, like I'm talking about it now, but only like one or two people actually gave him any money. So, you know, you can feel horrible, but you haven't changed his life until you take that action. So, if you're going to change your life, yeah. whether you are starting a business now or you started a business and you're struggling and you don't know how to get it done and you're like, oh, my God, like, I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't have connections. I don't have money. All of the excuses. Uh, you'd be surprised if you actually realize you have no option but to go forward. You got to find the one thing you could do, even if it's a small thing you could do to help yourself. Like when we came here, we didn't speak English. We didn't do there was nothing. And the one thing I did was I decided that without speaking English, I'm not going to get anywhere. And that one thing, even a 13 year old child can do on her own. So, you know, I, I had my dad go and get a, um, an English to English dictionary because there was no English to Korean dictionary back then here. 
I'm sure he could have found one, but it was not easy. So he would just circle any words that had less than five letters in them, just circle them. And I, because, you know, a 13 year old kid can't, you know, remember like 20 letter things. So it was like, he would circle them. And my dad didn't speak English either. So during the day when they went to work, I actually translated, I looked at the English English dictionary. And then every time you look up a word, it'd be described in English. So you end up with 10 words or something that you have to look up again. But eventually, you know, within, I found out the American public actually lives on 2,500 word vocabulary. Yeah, I found that to be quite yeah. fascinating. You would think English is such a big language, but it's not. So you learn it pretty quickly uh, within a year because, you know, I, my goal was to do 200 words a day because I had like 6 a.m. to midnight every day to do this with. So uh, and eventually I out there two books. Right. So think about the one thing you could do. <laughs> And if you come to my uh, website uh, and my, my uh, Million Dollar Hobby show, um, I give like a really great, there's like six key pillars that you, every small business needs. You need some visibility. You need to understand how to handle money. You need to find your ideal customers, uh, you know, loads of them. You need to find borderline fanatically, you know, people who are borderline fanatically you know, in love with you and your, your services so that they talk about you to other people. Um, and, and then how to use video. Cause you know, that's the one thing I know how to do well is storytelling. Um, how do how do you use storytelling to, you know, create a memorable brand in the minds of your ideal consumer? Cause that's something, you know, when you're on TV, you got to do it so many dollars a minute. It's not just sell, 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 but it's, um, and then the, and then the, the most important thing of all is how to, you know, a lot of people say, we love our customers. Um, I know my customers and I do everything for my customers. But when you go to their website, when you go hear them talk, you don't see them as customer-centric businesses. You know, if you look at all of the businesses that are like kind of ruling our lives today, Starbucks, um, you know, um, Amazon, all these companies, they're very customer-centric. And there is a trick to understanding how you look like you're customer-centric on your websites, on all your messaging. That's amazing. So I let you talk forever because that's uh, it's it's amazing to hear sort of some of those those things. So I have a couple of questions just out of out of those things. You mentioned a couple of things. One is learning how to build a brand because that outlasts anything building for money or profits. And the second thing is the customer centric. So I'm I'm curious, what are some of your thoughts on how you build a brand that is not focused on profits, but it's actually like the brand is bigger than the company, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, the reason I ask is I'm, I'm in the process of building a, a company. We sell refillable candles, glass refillable candles. They're, uh, they're super cool. We're doing um, a couple million dollars a year in sales on, with those. We'd really love to grow that, but I know that's one of the areas that, that I need to help our business grow is sort of figure out how to build the brand and not just the product, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, no, that makes total sense. That's exactly what I did. And without building a brand, you don't ever get to the $500 million. I mean, it's, it's really rough to do it any other way. Um, I would say that, you know, understanding what a brand is, every brand has to stand for something. Uh, if you look at, uh, for example, and I'm going to pick this example just because you're a guy and it's something that you would probably know. Like if you were to think of like uh, someone like an Armani or um, Ralph Lauren, for example, they're two very different yeah. brands, right? You may not um, realize like what those brands actually stand for because their brands are very subtle 
because they don't say these things on their branding messaging, but you as a consumer know this. Armani is really a lot about that, that incredible fabric and the drape and the fit, you know, whereas um, Ralph Lauren, it's more about that polished, um, you know, Americana denim type of a look. So imagine if uh, you find that, the, you know, there's always this competing uh, trends out there. So for example, let's say tomorrow morning you wake up and, you know, all the fashion magazines are talking about the new, you know, the pink ruffles, the pink ruffles are it. And the, even the guys are wearing the pink, you know, polka dot ties or whatever. That's a big thing. You will not ever see Armani coming out with pink ruffle suits for a guy. You won't see them coming out with pink period. I mean, if they do anything, it might be like a little, little tie, like a scarf thing that goes on one of their suits, or it might be in the accessories area, but they will probably choose to sit out that. Um, they might do that in the women's same thing with men. Like I don't see them doing, so you got to stick to your brand. Once your branding is sort of, uh, kind of finalized and your branding is when you're building a brand, it takes a lot of discipline to, so like, for example, if you're into like candles, um, you know, right now, a lot of the trend out there could be, you know, you want it to be organic. You want to be this, you want to be that all the, you know, all those trends are out there, but you have to understand the word trend means exactly that. Whatever's in trend today is not going to be in trend tomorrow, right? You want to go to timeless trends. So there's always minor trends and there are life-changing trends that stay with you forever. So before, like in, um, let's say, you know, years ago, before when we all used to travel, for example, you know, if you look at, if you go back like 30 years, I mean, there were beautiful luggage, you know, people used to, you know, like travel with Louis Vuitton, this or that, all, all those wealthy people used to, you know, it was just got real status. Today, uh, the major trend is all the bags now have rolling rollers at the bottom, because that was a big life changing trend, right? Uh, same thing with clothing, like a lot of women's clothes, like they don't want to have to iron them and, you know, I can take them to dry cleaners. You know, a lot of things are matte jersey and that when they came out, it was like, oh, who's going to wear polyester? Who's going to wear this? But, you know, it's kind of changed how we live. So if if you have, if you're uh, on the cusp of like, you know, a lot, some of this has to do with identifying which trend, understanding which trends are going to be the ones that you, it's going to be in, in there forever. Otherwise, you don't want to spend all that money and time branding yourself only to find out, oh, you know, um, you know, neon yellow color trend, um, candles, nobody wants them anymore. So it's at a 90% off tomorrow. See what I'm saying? So the brand yeah. has to be more about, it has to be more than your product it has to be more than your team of people behind you. It has to be more than the CEO. It really needs to be about a concept. So for example, in my business, um, and, you know, I invite you and all of your listeners to come to um, my website because I actually go over these things. But the only thing is, I don't know how to do this any other way. Um, I only, I really believe in small workshops uh, because that's, that's the way you're going to actually get content. So, you know, like if you come to me and you want to talk about candles and somebody comes to me and they want to talk about CBD oils or whatever, I want them, I want to be able to answer them, you know, very uh, meaningful. So for example, if somebody, the way I see my, my, I just got through telling you I do jewelry design and all that, right? But if you look at what my brand actually stands for, I say that um, I, my brand actually helps people memorialize their finest moments in life, like weddings, anniversaries, um, 
you know, christenings, graduations, promotions, you know, it's all celebrated with a piece of jewelry. And yeah. it used to be before you didn't really have choices that were individualized, stylish, that, that really memorialized who you were, right? So like every wedding has a love story. Why should your love, your love story is very unique. Why should you go to Zales or wherever and buy something that's made for 4 billion people? You know, so I wanted to kind of make sure that that's memorialized correctly. And when you do that, the designs are very timeless because something that has to be lasting forever, the design has to be somewhat timeless. So the challenge is then, what does the word timeless mean? Does that mean it has to be boring? This is why everything looks like the way it does. No, it doesn't because, you know, I add freshness to it because, you know, you are a modern person. With, so like a lot of times when I do jewelry design, like I might do in my bridal, it's a little different, but like for anything else, if I add like a floral hint to something or texture that has a little bit of something found in nature, that's, you know, butterflies, flowers, ladybugs, these things have been around for billions of years. So it, it's not an obvious thing, but there's a lot of different ways you can actually make something timeless. So what I'm saying is that every brand has the opportunity to create a distinctive, unique brand without a whole lot of money. You just have to think about it very carefully. And then the other thing too is I, I always say to people, I have a video influencing. Last time I offered it, like 300 people signed up day one. And then by the time I actually did it, it was like 3,000 people that wanted to get in. But here's the thing. If you're a small business person, the best thing you could do is learn how to use video because you know you are getting hit if you're a small business owner you're selling candles you're going to be hit by the walmarts and amazons and of the world and then you're getting hit with the etsy's of the world at the other end so you're like right in the middle of it and there's not enough money or time out there for you to spend to kind of uniquely stand on your own so if, but, you know, what's the, I just got there telling you that you want to have legions of borderline fanatic fans fall in love with you. Well, how are they going to fall in love with you? Are they going to read about you? You know, if they, if, if you come on and say, hey, you know, I'm Richard, welcome to, you know, my, you know, let me tell you a little bit about my candles and here it is absolutely gorgeous. And let me tell you a little bit about this. What happens is, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. A video is worth a million words. It's, it could be a 30 second video, but there is, and I do two things. One is storytelling. And the second is using, using video and the video, you know, a lot of people think about like the lighting, the, you know, the sound and all that. That's great. But that's kind of like saying going into a restaurant and Pete, you're going to, you're going to focus on how big the steak is and what temperature this was cooked. Who cares? You know, all they want to, all they care about is really, you'd be better off caring about the sizzle and the smell before all the other stuff. Nobody, it's like somebody telling me I've got a high quality microwave and it's traveling at certain speed. Like, I don't even care about that. Right. So video influencing is one. And then storytelling, um, everybody has a story like yours, you know, your show is about the Genesis, the origin story, right? Why yeah. do we, why is story really, storytelling really important? Because stories are memorable, stories emotionally move you. If people don't emotionally connect with you, you will never build a brand. So, you know, if it's dollars and cents, you know, it's just like a lot of electronics. If you're buying, okay, I bought this little ear, ear whatever thing, um, my, my thing broke. 
I went to Amazon, bought it for $9, okay? I don't even know what brand it is. I don't care what it is. Um, you don't build loyalty on something like that because it's not an emotionally connecting thing. Candles can be very emotionally connecting if you make it. Because a lot of yeah. people will talk about, oh, my candles are organic and my candles are this, my candles, are, it's all about the word I or my. And I think that that's, I'm just going to give you a quick, quick demonstration of the customer centric versus uh, you centric. Okay. Because a lot of small businesses make this mistake over and over and over again, because they believe that the way they set up their, you know, expert authority is by letting people know how great you are, how great your business is, and all the accomplishments you and your team have made. Okay. So you keep talking about yourself. That's what ends up happening, even though you're not a braggadocious person. So for example, if you said, um, I designed these wonderful candles because, you know, I believe that, you know, people should have, um, you know, candles that smell good and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I have a degree in chemistry and, you know, I traveled all over the world looking for these glass candles. And by the way, I personally believe like, you know, you should save your money. Uh, so I have, it's refillable. Okay. So use the word I like five times. Okay. And you said it with, you know, heart and soul because you think this is helping people. But if you said something like, get, you know, I know that candles can change lives and, and, you know, you guys love candles. You guys love who, who wouldn't love a house or a room, you know, full of wonderful, you know, sounding, smelling, um, you know, memories. It, it evokes wonderful memories for most people. And, you know, our, I don't know, Ilan Ilan, you know, gives you memories of certain, you know, did you know this, for example, smell is one of the most sensitive, um, you know, senses that we have. And, you know, so if you say you love, you know, you're talking about your audience, you say, you know, we know that you love neutrals and neutrals, when you have your wonderful dinners and you're decorating for holidays or whatever, the neutrals allows you to be the designer. The neutrals allows you to be the creativity person that can create all kinds of looks and smells. And, you know, and by the way, those neutrals can be, you know, easily um, sort of uh, coordinated or worked with, you know, a little pop of color and a little pop of different kinds of scents. So, so now here you're saying the word you, and by the way, you don't have to pay another a penny and you can save the planet by not having to buy all those extra glasses every time you do this because it is refillable. So our brand actually allows you to be the creator, gives you tons of options, gives you and your guests amazing experience that, that's memorable and you get to save money and you get to save time and you contribute to saving the planet. Now that is a customer eccentric message. I mean, I just kind of cooked this up over, you know, <laughs> But you see what I'm saying? So um, that's, that's amazing. I'm fairly certain you probably just doubled the size of my business. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is the the there is a way artful way. I mean, I can take a look at your website and go over. You know, every word matters. But when you do this in video, okay, when you do this in video, um, the video could be maybe 30 seconds, and that will make all the difference. Difference, you know. You and and then you there's tricks like you know. Um, you could use, so what I say, tell your story because your story is unique. And if they fall in love with your story, and if you said, you know, hey, I'm on a mission to 
make sure that during COVID times, whatever meals you have, it's going to be memorable. It's going to be something that's, X, that's, you know, that has an X factor, you know, something that makes you feel good as a host or a guest. And it makes you feel good because you can do so many different things. And let me tell you a little story about how an amazing event that, you know, our clients, so, so you can have other people tell you the story. You could tell their story. You know, our client had, uh, you know, her wedding anniversary and uh, she had, she chose, you know, whatever candles, which went with the flowers that she had. And, you know, she just, just, she was glowing in radiance and she, you know, she, she basically permeated all this positivity and beauty around her. And, you know, we applaud her for doing, you know, whatever. So again, you can tell, you can tell your story by shining a light on other people's stories. And you can have other people tell your stories, but you got to get it from all different angles. But if you're going to, you know, and I would say you do the video because who reads anything anymore? You know, 90, video, anytime you do it, you can do anything in video. It will increase your engagement by 90%. That's a fact. So this is why you got, you know, everybody, uh, Facebook, Pinterest, everybody's going to video. So if you're interested in mastering your storytelling, um, so the, dif the difference between my storytelling workshops and how other people teach storytelling. Because first of all, most people who teach storytelling has actually never told a story. <laughs> they haven't sold anything. I mean, it's interesting. There, there are people who do who charge like $25,000 and up on how to pitch yourself. And none of them have been on TV. And I'm like, how do you, how does that work? You know, if you can't get yourself on TV, like how are you teaching, you know? So here's the deal. What I do in my workshop is if you come to me or anybody in your audience sign up, um, and instead of just telling them what they have to do, I will ask them to tell me their story. And I pretty much go through their story and I'll go, you know what, I like that, but why should I buy from you still haven't answered this? Or I might say, you know, your story could be told so much more powerful if you use this part and not that. Because a lot of times they don't really realize, you know, I had a woman uh, who pitched me on my show and she told me about, um, you know, she grew up poor and, you know, she like, she was the first one that actually graduated from high school in her family. You know, this was all great. Then she went through the 15 degrees she had. And I was like, okay, enough already. The point she was trying to make is that she went from, you know, she was the first person who actually knew how to read in her family to getting the first college degree. And then she went on to got, you know, she's highly educated. That's it. I don't need to know every single degree you got and what you do. And by the way, I asked her, what is it that she teaches? And she says something like, I teach people, uh, you know, like the overcoming fear because they have to know what they can't do. And I'm like, well, yeah, and you need 15 degrees to do that because most people know what they can't do, you know? <laughs> so if the point is a lot of times you, every person usually has some, you know, all of us come to life with rich stories about ourselves, right? And what we're, what's inside of us. And you need to be able to bring that out and present it in a way that's going to connect almost like a magic bullet to your, your audience's heart. And if that happens, you, do you know that I've done uh, somewhere between $500, $750 million with less than $10,000 worth of advertising? And most of that money was done before the internet. And that is it's something. Insane. Yeah. I don't believe in advertising. I don't. Yeah. So, so just, just video. And, um, I've got a whole pile of notes that I've been taking over here on the side, just because that was some really fantastic information uh, on how to build a customer-centric story and how to build a brand that's memorable by actually standing for something. 
Um, and like I said, I've got, I've got a whole bunch of things just off the top of my head from what you were talking about for our brand, but like bringing light to moments that matter. Um, and, you know, the learning to uh, like learning to tell a story and how to move people. So anyways, I got a whole bunch of notes from, from right, that right, whole bit. Right. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really fantastic. Um, but what I want to talk a little bit about is your superpowers, right? And I almost feel like we could, we got a preview of your superpowers yeah, yeah. Um, just a second ago. But we talk on this show all the time about, you know, every hero has their superpower, right? It's the thing that makes them who they are, rather that's, you know, super strength or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. Um, I call it a zone of genius, right? Which is either a skill that you were born with or you developed over time that really allows you to help the people in your life overcome their villains, right? Come out on top of their journey. And the way I like to frame it is like, if you look at all the skills you've developed over the course of your life, the course of your business, there's probably a common thread that ties all those things together. And that common thread is where you find your superpower. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is in business? I would say, I don't even know if this is a superpower or personality trait, but I would say the number one thing about me that most people don't know is um, my curiosity. And let me tell you why that uh, having curiosity is really important in your uh, journey to success. I would, you know, in my book, I actually list several C words like uh, confidence, courage, all that. But I would say the number one thing you should have is curiosity because when you're curious about something, you never accept the status quo. So um, basically I looked at, uh, before I started my company, like right after I started my company, I had a lot of time uh, trying to figure out, okay, what went wrong? I mean, I've had, like I told you many times, I had so many things go wrong. I got screwed over so many times. I was so innocent because I like to look at people for their good, you know, no matter what. And um, so if you're curious about something, you, so I looked up all the gifted people, like what was their superpower? Okay, so I looked up people like uh, Leonardo da Vinci, um, Thomas Edison, Albert Einstein, um, Mozart, uh, Mother Teresa, all these people that we would not dispute that they were, you know, that they were gifted. Okay, Mozart wrote most of his uh, music before he was 20 something, you know, some of them he wrote when he was a child. That's why he has a very childlike yeah. happiness to it. Um, Beethoven, um, deaf and mute, some of the best music ever very complex music. So I looked at what was the common thread and the common thread was the curiosity. So, you know, when you, the biggest problem a lot of small business people have is that so many people reach out to me and they're like, oh, you know, I, I have this business or that business. By the way, I give a lot of speeches. Um, I'm director of a lot of different female business, uh, you know, uh, groups. And they'll tell me, oh, you know, my business is crushing, you know, it's on cruise control. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the fact is something like 75% of small businesses after they, even if they're successful enough to have built a business, they have a business that's not saleable. They can't sell it to anybody. So they're hoping that their kids will take it over or they're hoping that they can still make some money in retirement. Okay. So I try to tell them, look, if you really want to upscale it, you can't be happy with where you are. You got to keep, curiosity keeps on making you elevate yourself and keep on evolving. So, you know, in my business, for example, yeah. in, in fashion, in jewelry, uh, you know, designers come and go. Uh, my business, kept, I've never had a bad year. I, my business kept on growing because I keep on evolving. So when you, I would say in order for you to um, go from like, you know, zero to a million, it takes a lot of effort, but from a million to 10 million, it's, it's a real critical time in our business journey. 
Um, I would say that in a simple word, you start your business, then you have to keep elevating and then you got to amplify them. So you elevate high and then you amplify them wide. So eventually you elevate and then you, curiosity will cause you to innovate. So elevate, innovate, and then eventually you're going to have to dominate that industry. And it could be a small niche, but you have to dominate the industry. And that's how you basically end up, you know, scaling much faster. Because uh, from, I would say from the first million was a couple of years. Uh, from there to 10 million was one year. And then from 10 million to 100 million was like four or five years. And so, again, it's um, curiosity, I think it's, you know, I was born curious. And I think I, I kind of uh, had to stay curious because I live on a small island in Korea. So yeah. all I saw was these beautiful beaches all the time. There was nobody there except just beaches. And, you know, like we, we saw dolphins and beaches most, most of the time. We got sick of it. And I would ask my parents to read to me. Um, you know, like other places, other kids, like how, how do people live? I know there's people like on other side of the world, they, how do they live? So I basically ended up uh, seeing the world through books. And then uh, eventually, so, you know, um, I, I've traveled millions of miles um, to see my customers all over the world. And, um, you know, the easiest thing to do is do what other people do in other parts of the world or do what people do in different industries. For example, um, I found out that, you know, in heart surgery, that when people go through heart surgeries, you know, the doctors had, um, a lot of the stuff that, that were like needles and things that go through your body that had to be so nimble. They were all done by computer technology, like uh, CAD CAM technology, which was then adopted into like the golf technology where they, uh, like big Bertha had, you know, whether they, they can put the weight wherever they want, because they were able to create a piece and then subtract the weight out of that. And I was like, well, yeah. that's just so perfect for jewelry. Like, wh why doesn't the jewelry industry use it, right? So eventually, I actually went to see a guy out in Hong Kong whose uh, father had a jewelry company, and I convinced him to start, like, a, a small jewelry catch-hand company. So, again, like, being curious and always learning something new because that keeps you ahead of the competition all the time. And that adds value to your clients eventually. And then, you know, all you got to do is really like in your business, you just, um, you need a just a couple of people who really love your business, you know, love your candles. And I mean, there's a lot of things in, in your kind of business. You got the packaging, the branding, the actual product itself, the messaging, and then finding the right kind of people, you know, like in my, in, in my journey, I did uh, Neiman's and Saks, all the department stores, all the cruise ships, all the duty-free in-flights. I mean, I basically went everywhere around the world, all over. And yeah. every distribution channel gave me something new to think about. Uh, and I tried to be the best, you know, uh, provider for that particular industry. So I ended up making friends, with, you know, uh, with a lot of different people. And you find out that in retail, like, like a princess cruises would uh, hire somebody from like a Macy's. So my Macy's buyer will, if the first thing she'd do is call me and say, Hey, you know, I got not, no jewelry here uh, that's worth selling, you know? Uh, and that's, that actually actually happened. And, and then, and then she went from there to Nike from there to, you know, whatever. So basically end up, you end up over a career, like your business grows pretty quickly because people always remember who made them the best money. You know, when somebody calls me, when I want to call somebody now, it could be somebody in the middle East. It could be anywhere. I pick up the phone. Hey, you know, my name is Victoria. I just, you know, I, I love, you know, here's what I do. And uh, you can check it out. I don't get a call back. 
again, I call them again, you know, by the, so my Hail Mary is, look, I just made your competitor $30 million last year. Are you interested in talking to me? They usually call me back, you know, <laughs> so usually <laughs> yeah. they call me back right away. I love you. I love the idea of uh, curiosity being a superpower because right? I, I talk about curiosity all the time. Um, as uh, an interviewer, one of the things that um, I teach for other people who want to get into podcasting, because we run, we also, I have a, an agency that does a, a podcast, podcasting work. And one of the things I teach interviewers is like, if you want to be a good interviewer, um, there's two things. You need to learn to be ignorant and curious. Right. Right. So even if you know a lot about the subject that the other person is talking about, you need to be ignorant and curious about that subject. Um, and it's it's interesting to hear that from another perspective where curiosity is a superpower that, that can allow you to grow a huge business by being curious about how to make the product better or how to tell the story a little bit better or just all the different things that sort of go into pushing the envelope because curiosity is really what allows you to do that. You know, it's interesting. I started my hobby, uh, my podcast, Million Dollar Hobbies, and it's truly amazing. Every single episode. Um, so my my uh, episode is episodes are every other episode is me giving content directly, and so it's guested every other. So whenever I have uh, you know somebody on my show, usually like I told you, I interview people that do not have college degrees. If they had one, they haven't used it for years. Um, and, but they just had nothing but this undying passion about what they like to do. And they come up with the most interesting ways to solve problems or most interesting ways to build, you know, brands. And you're like, geez, like, I wish I had known that. And he, you know, I built a $500 million business and yet I'm learning something every single episode. And and like you said, like you're writing notes, I do the same thing. And I'm like, Oh my God, like it's it's just amazing. Like, you know, I thought I knew a lot about jewelry. And then, you know, you got these people that, yeah, I mean, I do this and I do that. It's just kind of really amazing. So, you know, no one person has um, an answer to everything, right? So that's why I love the, the, you know, everybody told me, oh, don't call it hobbies because the minute they were, you hear the word hobby, you know, they know, you know, nobody's making money, it's a quirky thing. And I'm like, no, this is what everybody aspires to do when they retire. I'm asking them to do it now, you know, before they retire, right? And actually monetize it. Um, but I, I'm just amazed at um, how many people have so much to share and they're willing to share it. So, yes. I mean, I may be here uh, sharing my story and that might inspire you and many of your audiences, but, uh, you know, people sitting there uh, and I hope many of them got some great uh, actionable tips. But like I said, like when I listen to, I listen to uh, a podcast, like every, every day I listen to at least three um, every morning when I'm getting ready in the morning, like after I finish my uh, emails, like when I'm getting my hair done or, you know, uh, preparing breakfast or whatever, I usually listen to at least one or two a day because like I said, it's a mastermind class. Like, you know, like your episode I was listening to this morning about, um, I forget what her name was, but she was talking about building a website and, you know, it's, it's so true what she said, which is, you know, most website builders know how to do do the technical part of it, but they've never really thought about kind of like that being the gateway, that being the storefront for somebody who actually has to do business. And yeah. so, you know, they need to actually, um, you know, so somebody like myself who's a 
very, very into marketing and into, into marketing. We don't know anything about the te- technical side of it. Like that's the last thing I want to know. So I think that there, there, she found herself a really great niche that kind of marries the two of them together. So yeah, I mean, yeah. you learn something, um, you know, every day um, by just being out there and, and keeping your ears open. And um, I think that's, that's my ability to count, you know, my superpower, which is my ability to never accept the status quo. Absolutely. So the flip side of your superpower then is, of course, the fatal flaw, right? And just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably had something that you struggled with in growing your business. Um, For me, it was a couple of things. I've struggled with perfectionism for a long time, uh, right? Which is where you don't ship product because you could tweak it a little bit more, make the copy a little bit better. Um, And I've had to work on overcoming that because if you don't ship, then you don't actually have a product. You're holding yourself to no standard at all. Um, So what is something that you've struggled with in growing your business? And I think more important than what the flaw is, is how have you worked to overcome it so you can grow in spite of that flaw? You know, I have many flaws, so it's pretty tough to pick the one. (laughs) But (laughs) let me try to, I think that my biggest flaw is um, I, you know, I have such a big heart uh, in terms of uh, being able to, I want to help anybody and everybody, like anybody who's ever asked me for help, I've always helped them, okay? Like whether it's money, I mean, you know, it could be the policeman's ball to, it could be somebody asking me to help them with the website. Like, you know, I, I do that. I've done that a lot, like just looking at aesthetically. Uh, but the other thing is where, and this might be a really great lesson for you is um, a lot of times I try to see the goodness in people. You know, I, I still have a real problem, like uh, not trusting people because I want to do business with people that I can trust. So yeah. what happens is, I mean, I got screwed over by manufacturers uh, you know, left and right in the beginning, like, and I still do uh, get them. But I mean, in the beginning, for example, I, um, I had no money, so I couldn't make any samples. And jewelry samples cost a lot of money, uh, you know, 300 to $1,200 per sample, and you need like, you know, 100 of them. So I ended up uh, d- doing like a lookbook. And I ended up, you know, basically going to stores asking them, like, if you had something like this, could you sell it? And how much would you sell it for? And then I worked my numbers backwards. Um, when I finally actually got a, a few orders from the Neiman Marcus store at, in Beverly Hills, like on Rodeo Drive, uh, the department manager was like, oh, my God, like, yeah, we could sell like a boatload of them because, you know, it, your designs are beautiful, whatever. So then I went to look for a manufacturer. Manufacturers told me, asked me, like, how many can you sell if we make it? And I said, well, I don't know, because I'm brutally honest. Right. So I, I don't you know, I could sell one. I could sell a thousand. I could sell a hundred. I could sell nothing. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, I am uh, to be honest with you. I don't know what I'm doing. So um, three or four of them said, you know, okay, well, I can't really, you know, you need to pay me upfront. And then the, the couple of guys who said, you know, we'll do it for you. But, you know, and they gave me all this, whatever. So what happened was those guys that said, they'll do it for me. One of them never shipped the sample. They shipped it to my competitors. See, if you are sitting on something that you know, it's going to sell because your manufacturers usually know like they have a pulse on, you know, what's going on. So, if you know it could sell like a thousand pieces, they think that, you know, because they see this all the time. They see designs, they see, they've done this for years and they go, you know, last time there was a huge trend. It kind of had the flavor kind of like this. So they kind of know that this could be the big thing. Well, usually the big manufacturers are doing business with somebody already. So they gave it to the competitors because they knew that the competitors were already in major, many of the major stores. So they ended up getting it. 
I never got mine. You know, I, the way I found out is like, I actually, uh, they didn't send it. So I went to the trade show to find new manufacturers. And that's where I actually found the live samples of my designs. Now, my designs are not very, very distinctive. And you just can't fake that. It's very distinctive. So, you know, you would think I would learn from that <laughs> because it was everything I had and I lost a lot of time. And, um, you know, stuff like that happened to me many times. But, you know, you get to the point and the business is very cutthroat here and uh, in, in the jewelry industry is very cutthroat. So, you you know, the question is, do you then become a nasty person, don't trust anybody? Or do you still trust somebody, you know, that's always been kind of, um, and then also when they give you the manufacturers, once I got my business got to be a certain size, I would ask people, well, can you do, for example, can you do sapphires? Oh yeah, we, we do that all the time. Well, what about turquoise? Yeah, we do that all the time. Well, you know what? Turquoise mines and sapphire mines work very differently. That's like saying, you know, candles versus steak. They're very different. Uh, yeah. But they'll always tell you they'll do everything and they don't. So you have, kind of have to kind of know, uh, you know, they're nice people. They want to please you. They think they can go get it, but they, they're not the prime source. So it's a lot of times I have a real tough time. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm a very conflict-free kind of a person. So I have a very tough time uh, judging somebody by um, what they're saying, but I've, I kind of developed a system now. I mean, I still, I'm still a victim of that. And same thing with, you know, buyers, like when they tell you they can sell 4,000 pieces or something and they give you an order for 50 pieces and you're like, I went through all that work for, for that. So, you know, the, the trust factor, I'm, I guess I'm still too trusting and it has cost me um, money or, or in, the, in a big way. But you know what? I would say um, it, it hasn't, you know, and some of those mistakes actually did almost cause me to go bankrupt because they would literally ship it to my, my competitors, direct competitors, you know, and there was a lot of backdoor money type things to which I don't actually ever touch. But uh, in the end, you know, things happen for the best and they worked out pretty well, you know. Yeah. Trust is one of those interesting things that a lot of people think that trust is something that you earn. But the reality is, is that trust is something that's given first and then it's kept or lost. I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you there. And, and I think if more people understood that, I think the world would be a better place. But it's, it's interesting because you have that choice anytime you go into a new relationship. Do I choose to trust this person or not? And you have to start with that trust. And if you don't, right, if you don't come into the relationship with trust, then you're not going to be able to grow and do the things that you, uh, you know, that you've done. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out, right? Sometimes the trust is broken. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but in order to grow and do what you need to do, you have to start somewhere with trust, right? Whether it's hiring a new manufacturer or getting a new buyer or whatever it is, you have to, you have to make that, make that leap at some point um, in order to, uh, to take your business to the next level. Yeah, your top employees, same thing, you know, you got to really trust their abilities and their intentions as well. Yeah, absolutely. And now, a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. 
The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. Now, back to the Hero Show. So I'm going to skip over a couple of questions because we hit a lot of these things already. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about um, your guiding principles, right? So one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code, right? For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever um, puts them in Arkham Asylum. So as we get near the end of the interview here, I want to talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you live your life by, that you run your business by. Um, that may be something you wish you had known when you first started out 20 years ago. Well, uh, that, one's, that one's very easy. Um, the code I live by is something, I mean, it's basically treat other people the way you want to be treated. But more than that, uh, there's a great quote by, um, the, actually, there's two, two great quotes, actually. There's two of them. Uh, one of them is uh, a quote by Maya Angelou, which talks about people will never forget, people will forget what you did or what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And that goes back to the customer centric thing. Um, you know, you can give them the biggest value. You can, you can sell, you know, 50 candles for five bucks. Okay. That's the biggest value. But if you don't make them feel special, if you don't make, if you don't make that emotional connection where they feel like if they were part of a movement, they were part of. Um, helping you, they were part of beautifying your environment, or they were part of something, you will never build a brand. So that, um, you know, everything I do is about the customer and um, about making them feel something. And so that, you know, is really great personally, as well as, uh, so, you know, like, even when I was raising my kids, every time I say no to something, I would say yes, five times. So I would say something like, you know, I love the fact that, you know, you helped me, you know, unload my groceries yesterday. And I love, you know, how you took care of your cat. I love how your room is tidy. And I love this, this, this. And by the way, if you could help me, you know, fix this one thing, uh, or if you could help me, you know, if you don't say certain things, I could, if you, if you can phrase it differently, you know, that would really um, make me so happy. So you don't, for every no, you wanted to do the five yeses. So I think that making people feel like that your life was better off by having interacted with them um, it, personally, as well as business-wise, I think that's a huge thing. And then the second thing is um, there is a quote, very little known quote by Nelson Mandela. And he says something to the effect that in an interview, um, everything seems impossible until it's done. So no matter how high you think the, the you know, the mountain you got to climb is, and it looks impossible, like you're having to climb Mount Everest by yourself with no ropes, you know, uh, in the middle of winter, uh, to me, you know, a lot of people have, like when you, 
look at that quote, you're like, oh, I can totally relate to that. You know, I got to drop my kids off and take care of my parents. And, you know, I have no money. I got laid off and my husband's sick, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just impossible. Okay. And I can completely, you know, uh, sympathize with that. But I actually think uh, when he said everything is impossible until it's done, it's like um, not getting it done is really not an option. So it's going to get done. <laughs> however yeah. impossible it is so what are you going to do to get it done because by that he eventually came out of prison and became president of the country so um i would say those two uh codes uh really kind of shaped my branding my brand how i approach problems how i approach my customers uh it shapes everything that's that i that i do yeah, and I love I love that second one about everything's impossible until it's done, uh, which means it's going to get done. It's going to get done. And the, yeah, the next the next thing that you said was how am I going to do it, right? Which so you forced yourself into a higher level of question, right? Yeah. Of not can I do this, but how is it going to get done? Which yeah. is a better question to ask yourself, and it fires up different parts of your brain that actually start working on those solutions. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So. That's, uh, that's incredible. And um, at this point, uh, that's basically the end of our interview. Um, but I do have a couple more things I want to cover. One of them is something I call the Heroes Challenge. I do this at the end of all of my interviews um, to hopefully find uh, stories that I might not find on my own. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story with us here on the Heroes Show? Um, first person that comes to mind for you. Uh, the first person um, I would say is uh, my very good friend, uh, Tonya DiCosimo. Uh, Tonya is a, um, she's an amazing person and she, ha she actually runs a professional women's network called Power. So it's called uh, Professional Women of Excellence or something. So it's called Power and she's got that's, about- That's the magazine that's behind you? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm on the cover of it this year. Uh, this, this, um, so here it is. Do you see it? Okay. Yeah, there so, you go. Um, if you look at, you know, she usually has like pretty, so she has about, um, I would say something like 30,000 uh, highly, you know, high powered professional women uh, that actually are part of this members. Um, I, I'm a member. And um, usually uh, this is a very high honor because usually she has a pretty mainstream uh, top-notch icons, female icons like Susan Lucci, Gloria Esteban, you know, I think Gloria is my next issue by Gloria um, Gaynor. I was in that, in that magazine as well. Um, and so she is somebody who connects, you know, if you, uh, if you have a small business and you want to immediately have places to sell things for, for one thing, uh, she's got 30,000 people there, but also uh, mentors like myself, uh, we give uh, a lot of our time to, uh, for free seminars, free webinars, uh, free, and you know, she kind of asks, you know, some of us to come and inspire them and give them real actionable tips. Um, and so I think that if you interviewed her, that might be really interesting because she has a very different kind of a business than I do, but she impacts a lot of people like every day because all the members have, you know, um, some of them are pretty high. I mean, I know some of the members who myself and they're, they're mega businesses. So yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. So we'll reach out later and see if maybe we can connect and get an introduction and get her on the show. 
Um, but the last thing I want to do is I want to find out where can people find you, right? Where can they learn from you? Where can they pick up your jewelry if they want to pick up your jewelry? Um, where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Victoria, I would like to get your help to grow my business. Um, and, you know, I think probably more important than where is who are the right types of people to do that. Yeah, so I would say you can uh, come to the first thing is start listening to my podcast because you will find, um, you know, not so what, what I try to do is I try to not focus on theoretical um, businesses, you know, theoretical successes. I'm, I'm looking at people who are very passionate about finding a, the extra factor on what they were doing. So a lot of rags to riches stories, um, you know, people that just didn't luck out but had to grind it out, you know, and learned a lot. So Million Dollar Hobbies podcast is uh, something that I, I find very, um, I, I take, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't take any, I have like no advertisers, anybody like I've been asked to do that, but I haven't because it's not about making money for me. It's really about providing an amazing content. And then when they come to victoriawick.com, uh, you will see a lot of educational opportunities. Um, you, you, I do focus on the, the key things you need. Uh, you're going to need several things. Uh, one of them, like I said, is building a brand. Uh, a lot of small businesses don't know it or they realize it later or they get displaced by a brand coming in. You know, So it, it's really important that you learn how to do that. Uh, video influencing, video marketing. You know, These are all things that people charge you know, $10,000, $20,000 for. I'm giving it away for free. And you're actually seeing it from a real person who's actually made a real living doing that. So, uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, like I said, sign up to, if you go to my website right now, whatever you can sign up for, just go ahead and sign it up because what we'll do is we'll ask you later on qualifying questions, like what are you really interested in? And then I am thinking about opening up. Uh, I have a lot of people like your business that are like on the cusp of doing seven figures but they want to do, um, you know, a lot more like uh, that, that's a critical time um, where so businesses can go broke and they can also grow broke. So going broke is when you don't have a whole lot of customers and you're just making ends meet and eventually you got tired or somebody comes in, you know, it, it doesn't track. So you, you go broke. Growing broke is when you've, you know, you're doing, um, you know, good six to seven figures and then the stakes get higher and um, you've had to now invest more money into your systems and everything else. And if something goes wrong, that could be, I mean, I've seen a lot of businesses grow broke. Uh, that's a huge phenomenon. So, um, you know, there's a way you can avoid all of that. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm all about risk-free and um, I mean, it not, nothing can be completely risk-free, but you can always test to see what the outcome might be. And I say you have to test because if you knew the outcome ahead of time, it wouldn't be considered a test, right? So if you're going to keep uh, sort of expanding your boundaries, you do need to test. And there is a way you can actually get that done. So I am looking, you know, if for those of you who are really high level, um, like you want to take your business to, uh, you know, major stores around the world, there's a lot of tricks on how you deal with the majors. Um, I am thinking about you know, like a, doing a special class for those people that are at that level, but most of you are going to be able to get a lot of free information um, or minimal. Like I, I have one class going on right now that's limited to 20 people. So there's no room there now, but I might open up another one. You know, that's like $3,000 program. So um, again, it's, you'll be able to get a lot of free information. And even with that, if you're like somebody like yourself can probably just ex exist on the free info. It's just that it just takes time because I only do one topic a month, every month for, 
you know, and it, and it is limited to 25 people. I, I, don't, I don't know how to do it any other way right now. I'm thinking about it. Um, I want to impact as many businesses as possible. Um, but I also want to provide meaningful, like real meaningful help too. you know, not just like a gloss over. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, it's uh, so come both of those places. And then my jewelry, you can go to shophq.com. Um, so shop HQ, I'm on it every month, uh, about twice a month. Sometimes it's only once a month, sometimes it could be three, but usually I'm on twice a month live and you can actually see, you can go to Google and you can go, you know, Google me on YouTube. Um, it's one of the most Googled, uh, brands for jewelry. So just go to Google it and you'll be able to see some of the storytelling, uh, mastery, uh, as well as how I talk to my customers and, uh, you can do it, you know, it's not going to be easy if you're not used to doing it, especially for people who are shy uh, or, you know, it took me a long time. Like I am not a braggadocious person. I am not, I'm an, I'm an introvert. So when I go to a party, I'm actually standing in a corner by myself usually, and people will come and talk to me and I, I hate to talk about myself or, you know, my jewelry, even I just want to draw and have it sold. But, you know, I realized that wasn't possible. You know, it, people don't find out who you are. So my branding is like, I am, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. Like I'm somebody who, you know, pretty, my customers know me as somebody who they can trust. You know, I'm a very honest person. And um, because, you know, when I talk about things on TV, whatever I can't do, I just tell them that like, I'm not very good at this. You know, <laughs> it's, that's not my forte or whatever. Because if you're not good at something, it's like, if you're selling skincare, you can't go, one of the worst things you could do is, you know, oh, this is great for, you know, your acne for, you know, for the 18 year old, for teenagers, it's great for, you know, anti-aging. Well, you know, that doesn't work because the, the 14 year old skin's growing and the anti-aging person needs to get all the collagen and everything else. They're very different things. So, you know, there is a designer on a cosmetics person on TV and she says, look, you know, if you're under age of 40, just turn off the TV. You have no business listening to me. I sell anti-aging. Uh, that's, you know, that's a very smart move, right? So um, again, let's like, um, I have another friend who does um, nutrition and, you know, she does uh, like a plant-based foods and same thing, you know, you can't go and skirt the line in between. You just gotta, you know, figure out who your target, is your target market vegan customers? Because they're not gonna like the fact that, you know, you know what I mean? But if you're going to do both, where plant food is actually beneficial for you, for people who are trying to get there, different messaging, different branding. So, you know, don't try to do too much. So I, I try to give a lot of information um, because I'd hate to, I like everybody, you know, my, my, my latest, uh, I, I always have a mission. So my latest mission is I want to create between, between now and when I die, you know, so hopefully it's not going to be for a while. Um, I want to create almost something like 1 million millionaires, uh, just by my messaging, by just reaching out, you know, to people on my podcast, because some people just need a little help. Some people need a lot of help. The people that just need, you know, some of the, some of you are going to be a lot bigger than I am because you're starting, you know, now at a time when everything is free and you're already there. It's like, um, a lot of them, they, when I just, they said, well, I can't do this. I can't, and I, you know, somebody, I, I had a person at my clubhouse. They can, you guys can, by the way, come to my clubhouse. Um, you know, I'm, I'm shy and I don't do this. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know, like I, I'm afraid of video. 
And so I asked her, okay, so tell me about your chocolates. A woman teaches chocolates. And she goes, well, I do, you know, I used to work for so-and-so and I do this and I do that, you know, and I, I found a way and I said, you know, you have no trouble talking. You just think you have trouble talking. But when I asked her about specifically about the chocolates that she makes, right? And she does custom chocolates for corporations and everything. You don't have a problem talking. You don't have a problem with your product. And that's all you need. You know, you just really don't need, it doesn't have to be introvert, extrovert. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like, like your guest said earlier, it's like, just be you. Just be the best of you and let people see the real you. You don't have to freak out, you know, just because you're on camera. Right. So that's, that's what I try to teach people. And, um, you know, I try to kind of impact, but right now I'm, you know, impacting very, I do a lot of keynote speeches, like with power, I'm the keynote speaker for their annual gala. And there's going to be like a thousand women there. Um, so, you know, but it's still like not millions. So that's why I started my podcast and you're helping me kind of spread that, that message. And, um, you know, yeah, anything I can do to anybody who's listening, just come on over. So the podcast, is million dollar hobbies and i assume you can find that on like google play or the apple podcast or any of the normal places that there and then yeah. your website is victoria wick and it's w-i-e-c-k right right w-i-e-c-k.com and uh, there there are like a one one chapter of, of each of my books uh they're both going to be published next year and uh, yeah that's it awesome so Thank you so much for coming on today, Victoria, and sharing your story and giving all the incredible insights that we got to talk about today. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so again, thank you so much for coming on today. Do you have any final words of wisdom for my audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? Yeah, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for uh, letting me share my story. And uh, I would like to um, sort of uh, sign off by saying, remember the one thing you can do for yourself. Think about the one thing, anything you can do for yourself because the rest of it's going to fall into place. And uh, I encourage you to take action. Thank you very much.